0: The peace of Christ be with you. you. Let's give yourself about three deep breaths to slow down, to be settled into the presence of the Spirit and held by this house of prayer. we begin a, a special welcome to some special friends Some muslim sisters and brothers are here to be with us today in particular to be in one of the sunday school classes so as you see them please give your warmest welcome friends now let us worship the living god
1: Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. Wisdom cries out in the streets.
2: Will we listen
1: to him? Will we hear? The prophets call out for wakefulness. Will we serve Jesus embodies wisdom for all to see.
3: You may be seated. Welcome. Welcome to Westminster. Welcome to worship together. If you're visiting with us, a special welcome to you. I do invite you after worship to our patio area for coffee, tea, and snacks, and especially a chance to get to know each other just a little better. Let's join together now in our community prayer. It's printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. Benevolent God, you have surrounded us with your wisdom. Your words bring me to all that is, yet we have not always recognized the sacredness of what you have made. Praise you for sending us those who have taught us awareness, who have imparted divine wisdom, and who have made us lovers of earth. We repent for times we have strayed from your way, turned our backs on what is good for all, or ignored the teachings of Jesus, even as we worshiped him. Renew and restore us in Christ. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that God is a source of ever-flowing love, acceptance, and wisdom. And in Christ, we are forgiven. We are given strength to start anew. Thanks be to God. Amen. So this is the third Sunday of the month, which means it's our birthday blessing Sunday. If you have a birthday in September or perhaps missed a blessing in a previous month, I invite you to come forward. All right. at all these great September birthdays we have. Well, happy birthday to each one of you. And what I wanted to do is share with you just some portions of a poem. It's a poem called Aimless Love. It's by Billy Collins. And he writes this. He says, this morning as I walked along the lake shore, I fell in love with a wren. And later that day, with a mouse, the cat had dropped under the dining room table. In the shadow of an autumn evening, I fell for a bowl of broth, steam rising like smoke. This is the best kind of love, I thought. No waiting, no huffiness or rancor, just a twinge every now and then. For the miniature orange tree, the clean white shirt, the hot evening shower, the soap, so patient and soluble, so at home in its pale green soap dish. So my hope, my prayer for you is that you may have those twinges, those moments every now and then, or perhaps even more frequently than every now and then, those moments of aimless love, not only on your birthday, but every day. Happy birthday to each of you. Happy birthday to all of you. You may be seated unless you would like to stay up here with me for the time of discovery. Your choice. And I also invite all the other children who are worshiping with us to come join us here at the front. Hmm. hmm. Y'all are sitting on the stairs, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down here because I have this book I want to show you, and I want to make sure you can see the pictures. So it's called Betsy Who Cried Wolf. Have any of you heard the story of the boy who cried wolf? Is that a familiar story? Some of you have. Okay, so this is a variation of that story called Betsy Who Cried Wolf. And the first thing I want you to see is here on the cover. That's Betsy. And look what she's doing. She is protecting her sheep, right? She loves them so much, she's protecting them from whatever may come. So I'm not going to actually read word for word the story, but I'm going to show you the pictures and sort of tell you what's happening. So this is Betsy on her eighth birthday where she takes the shepherd's oath and she becomes a shepherd out to watch her flock of sheep. But there's a wolf howling in the woods. His name is Zimmo and he's hungry. Mm-mm. I think we can see where this is going. So there's Betsy out with her flock of sheep, and here's Zimmo approaching out of the woods. And Betsy sees Zimmo and thinks, oh, no, he might want to eat one of my sheep. So what does she do? She blows her whistle as loud as possible, and everyone comes running. All of the villagers come. They're ready. They're ready to save those sheep from that wolf. But then they look around, and there's no wolf. The wolf has retreated back to the woods. There they are looking around. And now they're a little upset with Betsy. Like, why'd you call us out here if there's no wolf? So all the villagers go back. And Betsy's left with her sheep again. But then look what happens. The wolf comes back. And Betsy, she's going to do everything she can to protect her sheep. So she's going to call the villagers again. And some of them come this time, not all of them. And again, there's no wolf. So look what happens She gets sent back to shepherd school. (laughs) Here she is back in shepherd school. Because the villager's like, well, you keep calling us out, and there keeps being no wolf. You're going back to school. So she goes back to school for a little while. Then she's back out with her flock. And what should happen? There's Zimmo again. So here she is again trying to protect her sheep. But look what happens here. As she's protecting her sheep, she drops her lunch pail and her food spills all over. And the wolf gets closer and she realizes, because the villagers have told her they're not gonna come this time. And she doesn't know what to do because she wants to protect her sheaf, but there's the wolf. And you see what the wolf is saying? Food, food. So what does she do? She takes one of her pies and she throws it at him and he eats it. <laughs> and he thinks it's awfully tasty. Oh, thank you for the food. And then he's so grateful because the pie has been so good. And then he notices that some of the sheep are about to fall off the cliff. And what does the wolf do? Does he eat them? No. He grabs a rope and he saves them. And from then on together, the wolf and Betsy tend the sheep together. And she shares her lunch with him. I bet that was an unexpected ending, wasn't it? I love this story for two reasons. For two reasons. First, those of you who are younger, who are going to be with our Sacred Stories program today, you're going to hear about God being a shepherd to us. And I love how much Betsy cared for her sheep and she would do anything for them to protect them and to know they were loved. And you're going to hear about God doing that for us today. And then those of you who are a little older are going to hear a story about how important it is to care for others, especially to offer them food when they need it. Just as she realized the wolf was hungry and she offered him food. Just a lovely story and so unexpected. I love the twist at the end. But as you go off to Sunday school to learn about God as our shepherd or the importance of caring for others, we want to sing a blessing to you as you leave, all right? Go now in peace, go now in peace. So, as our children leave for Sunday school, now is the time in our service where we share with each other our joys and our concerns so that we may be in prayer for one another for our community for our world so if you have something to share we're going to oh my gosh i see 3 people this is good all right over here denny flash first remember those in the flood
1: zones and gerardines and surrounding or vinson some, some sad losses like a woman who had a heart attack and died before the EMTs could get to her. yeah lot of an ancillary damage mm-hmm.
3: thank you Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Denny lifts up those in the Carolinas affected by the hurricanes and now the continued flooding. Continued prayers, absolutely, for that whole region. Florence. So, prayers for Florence's husband, Pat, who is tomorrow going to be deployed as a Red Cross rescue worker to the Carolinas, North Carolina it sounds like. And then she also lifts up, um, when a disaster like this strikes, it's often the poorest of the poor, as you said, who are affected the most, certainly. Bruce? Yeah, it's joy to see Sandy's
2: back here. Yeah.
3: Yes, absolutely. Welcome back, Sandy, following your knee surgery. So good to have you back with us. Bev? mm She's had during basics, she's had two serious infections with public fracture, fracture Oh my she desperately wants to serve her country and she's just she graduation. Yeah. So healing prayers for the four Absolutely. Niece who's in basic training but who's had some injuries. Um prayers for her healing and prayers for her being able to finish that program. Yes. Peter.
2: Uh prayers that Edward's friend Helen, whose father says he diagnosed with cancer
3: Oh, okay friend Helen whose dad has been diagnosed with cancer. Valerie. Continue first with the rumor family who lost their dad. Um, last yeah, yeah, rumor family, the Mill Valley family, right? Yeah, who lost their dad last week. Yeah. Uh,
2: first for, for my wife's,
3: uncle Joel passed away unexpectedly. Oh, sorry to hear. Your uncle Joel who passed away unexpectedly. Yeah. Oh, yes, Elizabeth. Mm. A good friend who died of brain cancer last week. Prayers for all who knew and loved her. Let's take a few moments of quiet as we hold not only these prayers that we've spoken aloud, but those prayers held in the silence of our hearts. And then I'll lead us in the Lord's prayer. So let us pray together. Gracious God, you hear the prayers of your people. They're offered in the name of the one who teaches us to pray together, saying, Our...
2: I invite you to look at the bulletin cover as the anthem is presented. The, uh, the text for the anthem uses this same source. Some of the, the stanzas are in a different order. The composer chose a different order of the text and uh, uses more of the text than appears here. But it might enhance your appreciation of the anthem to be watching the lyrics.
1: The first scripture reading is from Proverbs 1, 20 to 33. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Wisdom cries out in the streets, in the squares she raises her voice, at the busiest corner she cries out, at the entrance of the city gates she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Give heed to my reproof, I will pour out my thoughts to you, I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused, have stretched out my hand and no one heeded, And because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when panic strikes you. When panic strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me. But I will not answer They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have known none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and be sated with their own devices. For waywardness kills the simple and the complacency of fools destroys them. But those who listen to me will be secure and will live at ease without dread of disaster. This is holy wisdom, a holy word. Thanks be to God.
0: The second reading comes from the 19th Psalm. I will be reading simply the first four verses. Listen for what the Spirit is continuing to say to us this morning. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Friends, this too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. It took a couple of minutes for us to spot the second one. We had seen the first baby deer huddled under a bush, and it was our young son, a couple of minutes later, who spotted the second off a little ways Away, so hidden by their markings, right outside our bedroom window. So we stood there huddling, looking at this event. When I say baby, I mean that literally these were newborn fawns. When they tried to stand, their wobbly legs barely held them, and each step they tried to take forward led them sliding back more off the steep embankment behind our house. Now, remembering that often when mothers give birth, they leave their, uh, their babies behind to go forage for food. We weren't alarmed and we just sort of watched and sure enough, a few hours later, I mean, we took breaks, but... A, a, <laughs> a, a few hours later, the, the mother came back and the two fawns nursed and were on their way when we didn't see them again for weeks. Consider the wisdom of of nature. Uh, Whether it's, you pick your language system, eons of evolution coming up with this incredible form or the imprint of God marked indelibly on all, right outside our window it was happening. From, From the knowledge of a mother to separate the children to avoid predation of both of them, should one be taken, the other might survive to their markings that made them virtually imperceptible in the landscape around, the wisdom to know to go off and, and find food by yourself, lest the vulnerable children be picked off by others or a car. Uh, it was truly remarkable. The, um, uh, another detail, this one a little bit... Um, uh, maybe distasteful for our likes, but remarkable nonetheless. I, most of you, or some of you, may know that you know that that fawns have virtually no scent. You know this: the baby deer have almost no smell. That well, makes sense, right? So they wouldn't attract predators. And so, to put it delicately, they hold it when their mother is away, and only when the mother returns do they eliminate waste and then the mother consumes it. Now that's committed parenting, (laughs) right? The instinct for survival is brilliantly creative and resourceful. And there it was, right outside our window. There are more examples. Of course, uh, the the complicated mathematical formula you can use to, to figure out the temperature by counting the number of times a cricket rubs its legs together in a minute? H- how you isolate one cricket is a different question, but work with me. Uh, we often watch the crows working together in our neighborhood, or partnerships, symbiotic relationships across species. You see these, these uh, birds that will stand atop cattle or game and pick the ticks off their back, and it's a nice little deal they've got going. We took a walk in Point Reyes at Bear Valley at the Visitor Center there with a ranger a couple of weeks ago, and as we were learning about the plant life, she talked to us about a certain kind of bark that animals have been known to eat. Primates, I think. I'm looking at my wife. Is that right? Primates? Do you know? I don't know either. Um, I think it's probably primates. Animals. Let's stay animals. Bears. Bears. Deer. Deer. I don't know. You don't even know it, so it doesn't matter. Uh, But animals are known to eat this kind of bark when they're in pain, and it just so happens the derivative of that bark is aspirin. It's amazing, right? And when humans are connected to this type of natural wisdom, they can use it to their advantage in all kinds of ways. So uh, how many of you know of uh, three sisters planting? You know of that technique? So unlike the monocultures that dominate sort of factory farms, there's a way of, and then uh, consequently dump all kinds of fertilizers and chemicals into the ground and the waterways that give us all manner of problems later. Three Sisters Planting takes, it takes corn, beans, and squash and grows them together, right? So the corn provides a tall and strong place for the beans to grow up. The beans in turn suck nitrogen out of the air and put it into the soil, and hold the three plants together. And then the squash provides, with their huge leafy cover, shade and, which keeps the soil moist, which uh, prevents weeds from coming and retains water. And also the prickly nature of the leaves keeps uh, animals that would otherwise come and eat the plants away. Amazing, right? The heavens are telling the glory of God. And it's not just a stargazing episode. Uh, The psalmist says in the firmament declares God's handiwork. The very earth itself is trying to teach us about God. And so when we cut ourselves off from her, not only do we cut ourselves off from that sacred wisdom, we in effect cut ourselves off from God, God's self. The church got it a little bit wrong when it decided it was the sole arbiter of divine speech, the sole proprietor of God's word, special caretaker, yes, I'll accept that, a role to play in caring for God's word in this particular form of God's word, but owner I think the moment you think you own something is the moment you prove that you don't get it and don't have it at all. Oh, there is more going on here. The psalmist calls us to. The words of the Proverbs ring to us as they try to teach us this divine wisdom. Heavens, it says, are telling us the glory of god so our scriptures teach us that but we're indoctrinated into a different mythology by culture it's it's so around us that we don't even notice it's there that's what a mythology is when you're living in it and that mythology reduces everything and one could argue everyone to a commodity something you can make and you can get and you can sell and you can trade, objectifies everything. That's not the language of our sacred tradition, but it's the language that has become our native tongue, so to speak. So we no longer have nature, we have natural resources, which you can take and you can extract and you can use and use up. And we talk about sort of this cold, objective thing called the environment, rather than what St. Francis from the tradition would say is Mother Earth, just as he spoke to us about sister water, brother air and wind, brother sun and sister moon. It's interesting, there's this attraction to indigenous traditions these days. We were actually at a, uh, a native festival yesterday. But there's an attraction to it, I think because people presume that they are more in touch with the natural world, and they don't objectify and commodify everything. And yet, at the root of our tradition, we're not to either. And the most fruitful vines remind us that, such as St. Francis. In fact, look at our ancestor tradition, our indigenous ancestor tradition, Judaism. Look at the festivals of um, Judaism. They're deeply connected to the cycles of earth and cosmos. Right? So it's not far off from us. Well, the Psalms and the Proverbs both give voice give voice to a divine frustration when people uh, forget to listen to the wisdom of God inherent in the natural world. Did you catch that? The psalmist says, yes, day-to-day pours forth speech from God through the created world, and yet that speech goes unheard, not listened to. And Proverbs uh, even Starker describes Lady Wisdom crying out in the streets, and yet her voice is not heard, and moreover, she is scoffed at. And and beyond that, people delight in their scoffing at her. They claim ignorance as a badge of honor, and they wallow in it and celebrate it. Fools hate knowledge, says Proverbs. Fools hate hate knowledge, I think because knowledge exposes them for who they are and the choices they make. I think it's this type of uh, Christian and sacred wisdom that led Jonathan uh, Wilson Hartgrove, who's a powerful Christian uh, advocate for justice, who lives in North Carolina, to pray this week for those who would be in the path of Hurricane Florence. Is it Florence? Okay, I'm thinking that because I'm thinking of you, Florence, and I didn't want to call you a storm, (laughs) though you are in a way. Because what Florence reminds us is that the most vulnerable, the poor, are the ones who suffer the worst in these kinds of tragedies. So Wilson Hartgrove prayed for those people who will suffer the worst and are suffering the worst from this. And in the same breath, he prayed for deliverance from leaders who continue to deny science. Same breath. Now the obvious critique is, oh, politicizing tragedy and suffering doesn't feel right to some. But others helpfully asked this week, well, isn't it politicizing it not to talk about it? To askew wisdom and scientific knowledge that can save life, land, property, well-being, species? Which is political? Which is faithful? And the irony of irony of our system of commodifying everything is we don't pay full price. We refuse to pay full price and instead kick the cost down to our children and our children's children. And now we're living at a historical moment when the bill is coming due. And that doesn't even mention the cost to other beings created by the God who loves them as much as God loves us or the cost and the toll on the human soul of living that way. And so Proverbs offers us a pretty sobering warning if we choose to ignore the wisdom inherent in the created world. Proverbs uh, says this, Because I have called you and you refused, stretched out my hand, and no one heeded, and because you ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when panic strikes you, when panic strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. When the storm comes, don't come running to me. That's what God says. God's going to sit there and mock us in the midst of tragedy and suffering. Well, wait a minute. If that's what you think you're hearing, slow down. Always a good first step. Slow down. That isn't precisely what the text is saying. This isn't God talking in the text. This is a text about wisdom. In fact, it's wisdom that is doing the talking. And I don't think wisdom is threatening us, saying God's not going to listen to you. I don't think actually wisdom is going to do any mocking of us, even in moments when maybe we deserve it. I think what wisdom is doing is giving voice to natural consequences. If you choose foolishness and you set it next to wisdom, the contrast will be so glaring, it will be as if one is mocking the other. The choice is so stark that by definition, the reflection is mockery. So what is wisdom saying to us then? I think she's saying to us the same thing every great tradition says to us. It's the same thing the prophets say in our tradition and all great leaders of all great traditions say. And it can be summarized into two words. Who would have thought you can get your whole tradition in two words? You want to know what it is? I'll give you a hint. It's not love God. It's not love neighbor. It's not love yourself. As important as all those are, It's something more fundamental to that. The message of every prophet could be summarized as this. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up to what's going on. Do you see it? Do you hear it? Can you taste it? Wake up. How many of you watched Miss America a couple weeks ago? I know that feels like a non sequitur. But when you let your senses wake up, it's amazing what you notice. The contestant from Michigan got up there and said, I'm from Michigan, the state that has 84% of the United States' fresh water, none of which its people can drink. Bringing attention to the crisis in Flint where they still can't drink their tap water to that important cause of justice because she was awake. She let her taste buds and her eyes and her ears tell us what was going on and therefore what wisdom needed to be lifted up for the people. Richard Rohr, this great Franciscan priest and author, says, God is perfectly hidden and perfectly revealed in every moment. We just have to learn to see. And when you see and when you wake up, you will completely change the way you live. If you want the most succinct description of Jesus Christ there is, just think of him as a fully awakened being. His eyes and ears and heart completely open, and so he can tell what's going on, and he is so connected to source that he could draw on it to bring healing or restoration where it was needed. And once you see clearly what to do is readily apparent, uh, two Saturdays ago, we took a ferry into the city, and it just so happened that our de- arrival coincided with the departure of the ocean cleanup vessel. Now, I've been following this story for a couple of years now. I- if you're not familiar with it, the ocean cleanup vessel was, or project is, is an attempt to try to clean up the plastic in the ocean. And so it will go out to the Pacific Gyre, where there's a, a, a area the size three times the size of France, covered in plastic, swirling around, and they will deploy these long booms called arrays, and it's gone through testing, and this is the first full deployment, and if all goes well, there'll be sixty of these out there that will naturally collect the plastic, and then it'll go back to Europe to be recycled. Now, I read at some point in the last couple of years. That if we were just to send boats out to the ocean to skim this stuff off, it would take something absurd like 70,000 years to get it all. That's how much damage we've done in like 50 years. This project, if it proves successful, purports to be able to get most of it in five years. The person who designed it dreamt it as a teenager. He's 24 now and he's already gotten it deployed. Where does that kind of wisdom come from at such a young age? Wakefulness. He saw what was happening. He recognized it. He knew there was enough wisdom around if he could just tap into it. He tapped into it and he acted and something is happening. Now, that launch, I trust, coincided with the Global Climate Action Summit that happened in the city this week, and with a few others of you, I went to an interfaith worship service on Wednesday at this glorious home of Grace Cathedral. It was a powerful service, though it was actually quite simple, the way it was organized. It basically consisted of two things. People from different religious traditions showing up in delegations and just showing up and presenting themselves. That's half of it, saying, I will be here. And then they each made commitments as institutions. Uh, There was an Islamic group um, in Houston that pledged to make all their mosques fully carbon neutral by such and such a date, for example. Or individuals making similar pledges, I will eat fewer animals, I will bike to work. Show up, make commitments. And it started with... uh, Indigenous peoples coming in and welcoming us to their land. In Grace Cathedral, think about that. Their land said, you're welcome here now. And then every delegation was ushered in by a verger. If you know anything about the Episcopal Church, these guys that carry these big staffs called verges, and they were very regal and powerful as a way of hospitality. They would usher in Jews, Buddhists, Janes, all kinds of Christians. And then came the trees. These stilted figures with branches and limbs waving around, and they escorted along with the verdure every religious tradition there. Everywhere they went, they were omnipresent. And why not? Do we think the trees, which give us air, care a lick about our religious divisions? or our petty border battles or other kinds of fights we have. Yet they rely on all of us for their protection if they're going to give us air. And it just sort of hit me as I sat there. There it was, no longer on the other side of the window, even those glorious stained glass windows, but inside the church where it belongs. Wisdom from all kinds of traditions, not blurring into one, but allowing their differences to be blessing to one another, all seeking a common and greater good together. The impulse, the instinct for survival, for mutual survival, is brilliantly creative and resourceful. And in that and in one another and in Christ who holds all things together, we have our hope. Amen.
3: I'd like to invite forward Emily Wangenheim, who's going to offer our moment of stewardship this morning. Thank you.
4: This summer, I had the incredible opportunity to go on the high school mission trip to San Diego with the church. My group volunteered at San Diego Rescue Mission, a thrift store for the homeless, and Brighton Place, an elderly living facility. At Brighton, we were supposed to just hang out with the residents and get to know them a little bit. I walked in on the first day and sat down next to a man and his family, who I soon came to realize didn't speak English. My first instinct was to get up and find another table, which would have been a lot easier. Instead, I decided to stay, and I talked to the man Hector and his daughters for about half an hour, stumbling through my Spanish. It was honestly a little bit stressful, but at the end of our time, I felt a sense of pride. It wasn't so much what I was able to say or try to say to him as it was about being able to connect with someone with very different life experiences than my own. The mission trip allowed me to hear the stories of people from many different walks of life, and forming those connections has given me a wider, more open view of the world and those around me. I think one of the most important things that the mission trip and being a member of this church has taught me is to push myself beyond my prejudices, fears, and doubts to listen to others who have a different story to tell than my own. I'm incredibly thankful for my opportunity to have gone on the mission trip, and please prayerfully consider what you can pledge. To show their support for the 2019 stewardship campaign, our church officers have already filled out their pledge cards. I would like to invite those elders and deacons who are here this morning to come forward and put your completed pledge cards here in the offering plate.
0: may be seated as we move into life of the beloved community I, I i have to tell a story i watching the elders and deacons coming forward with their pledges i was uh thinking of sharon terrell from the 830 service elder sharon terrell when i was in seminary it was a common thing for some students to come into worship just to get eucharist and then take off sort of communion um uh, uh, eat and run kind of thing uh <laughs> But today was the first day I've ever seen somebody come to church just to give. Uh, Sharon is leaving on a trip today, but she came to the 830 service just to turn in her pledge card. So uh, as excited as that makes me for stewardship, it makes me more excited. And to pass on the excitement to you all about the quality of leaders that you have elected, and as we enter into a nominating process for next year, elders, deacons, financial review, that you'd be prayerfully considering who you might nominate and whether or not you might be feeling called to serve because the quality of leadership makes a big difference here. So thank you for that.
3: Just one other thing about our stewardship campaign. You may notice that we have a bulletin board right as you walk out the sanctuary in our hallway there. And our stewardship team would really love for you all to contribute to that board. They really want to highlight the ways that your faith calls you to serve in the community. So we know that many of you are serving in a variety of ways in your work, in your volunteer activities. We'd love for you to fill out a card describing that and add it to our board. Our hope is that we'll run out of room on that board showing all the different ways that you all are active in the community. And then just two notes about what is going to happen after worship, I see a fire engine pulling up right now. Um, Some representatives from the Southern Marin Fire District are gonna be here. They're gonna offer a presentation in Finley Hall, just with all the fires that have been happening recently about fire preparedness and other things we can do to be aware and alert. And in addition, the kids will have a chance to explore that engine out there. Um, And also, every now and then, Rob and I like to offer a time for conversation following the sermon. So in the library, Rob will be there. If you want to talk more about the themes that he highlighted highlighted in his sermon today, you can find him there in the library. And now I invite you to stand as you are comfortable for our closing hymn. It's number 713. Mm 713.
0: And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, who is father and mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day, be with you every day. Amen.